We're going to get in the Word today. I hope um, you've enjoyed what God's already been doing. We see some, some old friends here visiting, some new friends. Um, wow, I just love the people here at Save the Nations. And wow, I don't know if you know this, but somebody made me chicken wings before service. It has nothing to do with the sermon. It's going to be hard for me to go through the rest. No. Those chicken wings are good. I'm just letting you know. Is there any, is there any for, is it just for us? Just for Pastor Lee? Wow, that's so good. Oh, my goodness. Well, we're going to be talking about the Joseph and Judah prophecies of Messiah. And we're, we're looking at the Torah portion, Meketz, which means um, at the end of days. And it actually, actually starts out with saying at the end of two years of days. So, the Torah portion that we're reading in the book of Genesis really has to do with a prophecy about Messiah. You'll see that Pharaoh has dreams. He has two dreams. And the number two is going to be all throughout this Torah portion. Joseph's going to be number two over Egypt. He's going to ride in the second chariot behind Pharaoh. When the brothers come back, they're going to bring double money. They're going to come two times. I mean, the number two is, so the number two is very significant. Why the number two? Because the number two is pointing to the two times Messiah is coming. But it also, think about it. Messiah came, Yeshua came about 2,000, about. So if the scripture says a day with the Lord is what? As as how many years? A thousand years. So if the Torah portion says two at the end of two days, it could also be saying at the end of 2,000 years. So what's going to happen at the end of 2,000 years? At the end of 2,000 years, Messiah is going to come for the second time. And let me show you something that God showed me this morning. I never thought about this before. The Torah portion starts off and it says, at the end of two years of days, what were those two years of days? The two years, remember, in this story, there's going to be this butler or a wine, the one who's in charge of Pharaoh's wine, he's going to get a memory, uh, his memory's going to come back to him. Has anybody ever lost their mind or memory for a little bit? He was forgetful. How many years did he forget? He forgot two years ago that he had been in prison and he had had a dream. And the dream of both him and the chief of the bread or the baker, both of those dreams came about because of this Hebrew boy who told them what was going to happen. So, interesting, the the, the wine steward or the butler, he says, I remember now. It was two years ago that the dream that was told me, um, the interpretation came to pass. Now, does anybody know what happened on uh, two years ago? Did anybody know what happened? For the butler, the butler or the, the wine steward, I like, I think the, the Hebrew understands him. He's a, he's a maker of wine. He, he takes care of Pharaoh's wine. Two years ago, when he had a dream, his dream was really positive. Because two years ago, uh, he said, I had this dream, and in three days, the, um, I was pouring, you know, pouring wine back into the, the goblet of Pharaoh. 
and the, the, the dream was interpreted. In three days, you're going to be, your head is going to be lifted up. You're going to be restored to your position. But there's another guy. And when he, and he was in charge of the bread. So I want you to just think about, he's in charge of the bread. And he has a dream that in three days, there's going to be these birds eating the, the seeds or the bread off his head. What happens to him in the three days after, at when Joseph gives him the, the interpretation? What did Joseph say? In three days, Pharaoh's going to hang you. You're going to be lifted up by your head, but it's not going to be a good thing. You're going to be literally hung and left for dead. And I was like, oh, my goodness. What if Yeshua is both the picture of the wine steward who after dies in three days, he's what? Resurrected. Wine is a symbol of covenant, right? With a symbol of the new covenant. The, but the bread maker, the chief bread maker, Yeshua is also symbolic of him because Yeshua dies as the bread. He's the one who has God's bread for the whole world. But he has to die first before he can be resurrected to give the new covenant bread to everybody. So think about this. At the end of two years or the end of two, what was that? At the end of the death of the baker, at the end of the resurrection of the wine steward, then Joseph comes on the scene. And that's when God begins to work in his life. So in a sense, we need to be on the lookout the closer we get to the 2,000 years from the time of Messiah when Messiah died and on the third day when Messiah was what? Raised to life. We are in a time that is very prophetic pointing to another coming of Messiah and Joseph and Judah, both brothers of Israel, are uh, Brothers and sons of Israel are going to be prophetic or prophecies of Messiah. So we're going to kind of look at Judah. Judah is not a firstborn. Joseph, he's technically not a firstborn, but he is partly a firstborn because he's the firstborn of Rachel. Anyway, both Judah, okay, so let's look at this Torah portion. Both Judah and Joseph both go down at a point in their life. So think about this. Where does Joseph go down? Joseph goes, uh, Judah goes down. Judah goes down from his brothers and he marries a Canaanite. So he's going down and the Bible specifically says Judah went down. Then when it talks about Joseph, what does it say about Joseph? And Joseph went down to Egypt. He, both of them went down. Very interesting. When Messiah died, what happened to him? He went he was buried, right? Three days, right? Interesting. So, they, so both brothers also, though they go down, they also ascend both in different ways. But at the end of the story, they both come up higher. So just think about that as we think about Messiah. Messiah had to die. Messiah had to be buried. Messiah on the third day had to resurrect. But he went down, but he didn't go down for himself, did he? In fact, even Judah and Joseph both actually go down, and they both actually don't even go down for themselves. It's interesting. Ju Judah goes down 
and, he, and he's with this Canaanite woman. But through the process, he ends up ascending and he has these twins with Tamar and they're part of the Messianic line. So really he went down. It wasn't for himself. Joseph went to Egypt. He didn't go down to Egypt for himself. He went to be a posterity, to, to preserve the future of the family. Now just think about this. Romans 8 says this, God works all things to the good to them who love him and are called according to his purpose. Don't get in your mind when you're going down, that's the end of the story. Sometimes you have to go down low so you could come up higher. You're not going down for yourself necessarily. You're going down for a God's plan and God's purpose. Now, I know that doesn't, it doesn't, um, we don't like that kind of stuff, but it's Bible. Joseph began, here's how he begins. He begins, when we first hear about Joseph, he's 17 years old, and he speaks evil, and he causes division. He's the first one in the Bible, what we would say, um, had, um, in the Hebrew, it's called Lashon Hara, Ra Debor, bad, evil speech. He's the first, okay, you know what the worst offense to God is? I know some of you think, murder, that must be the worst thing. Idolatry must be, the, no, no, no. Proverbs chapter 6 talks about the set six, and then as it says, no, no, there's seven things the Lord hates. You know what the worst one is? One who causes division amongst brothers. Joseph did it! The worst sin possible. He's dividing the family. He's giving evil reports. Won't that make you think about your posts on Facebook or, or Instagram or TikTok? The worst thing you could do is divide people, especially brothers. But afterwards, when he comes up, he's going to speak shalom. He's going to speak peace because he's not the same guy that spoke those things at the beginning of the story. Judah, here's what Judah does. You talk about going down. Judah spoke of killing Joseph. He didn't want to put him in the pit. He said, let's kill him. Interesting to know that doesn't that happen to our Messiah? Doesn't he have to die? Doesn't he have to be killed? But, but in the end, Judah's going to stand up and become the pledge for Benjamin. And he tells daddy, he says, daddy, I'm, I pledge my life. It will be sin. It will be uh, transgression for me to ever go back on this. I will bring back your son. I will bring back the food. We will live. We will not die. He comes up, doesn't he? He's an interceder. He's an intercessor. You know what this makes me think about? This Judah makes me think about Yeshua, whoever lives to make intercession. He went down for us. He was buried for us. On the third day, he rose for us. And he is the pledge. He is the guarantee. Hebrew says he's the guarantee of a better covenant built on better promises. That's pretty powerful. Hallelujah. Look in, Gen look in Genesis 43. I just, uh, Pastor Lisa mentioned this. If you haven't watched our Zoom for Wednesday night, I encourage you to, 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 to watch it because there's a lot of nuggets in there. But Genesis 43, 8 through 10, Judah said to Israel's father, look what Judah says. Send the lad with me. We will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. Judah is prophesying. Look what he's saying. 
let me take Benjamin. Let me take this lad. We're going to live. We're not going to die. This is the word of the Lord tonight, today. But we, both you and our little ones, we are going to live and not die. And declare the word of the Lord. I myself will be a guarantee, will be a surety for him. From my hand you shall require him if I do not bring him back to you. This is what Yeshua did on the cross. Hallelujah. He brings a lost home. Hallelujah. Some of you are like, I didn't know all this. Well, now you do. If I do not bring him back to you and send him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. This is amazing. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we, have ret we would have returned this second time. So when Judith speaks about lingering or delaying about we could have already came back twice. Remember, the theme of the Torah portion is at the end of two days, there's going to be a second coming. And he said, we could have come back twice by now. But in the, the Bible is full of this metaphor. It says this over and over. That in the last days, people are going to say, where is the promise of his coming? He's lingered. He's delayed. And you have the same language here that Judah says, if, if we hadn't lingered, if we hadn't tarried, if we hadn't delayed, we would have already been back. And I'm wondering if, if God doesn't even want to speed up some things. If, if things are taking long and maybe, maybe there's a reason for it. Maybe we're part of the problem. Maybe, maybe the Lord could come back sooner if we get our act. I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm thinking about it. So, I want to show you the New Testament to this story. When Jesus rises from the dead, when Yeshua rises from the dead, and he, and, he, and he shows himself to the disciples, I want you to remember, and I want you to read this with me. You're going to see something. His own people, his disciples, after the resurrection, did not know it was him. Just like in this Torah portion, when Joseph presented himself before his brothers, he recognized them. They did not recognize him. So all, there was a resurrection. There was victory over death. There was dominion. Um, but the disciples didn't understand the prophecies of Messiah. I'll say this. I think there's still things, there's still things in the word we hadn't figured out yet. There's still things hidden and obscured to us. We're not really seeing Messiah. We're not really seeing the role of Messiah. We think it's one thing. We think you just say this prayer and you're going to heaven. I think there's probably a lot more to what, what the Lord did 2,000 years ago and the plan that he has than we probably, we probably just scratched the surface. Do, do any, anyone agree with that? We're just scratching the surface. Luke 24. First day of the week at daybreak, the women came to the tomb carrying spices they prepared. They found the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. When they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Yeshua. Now look at this. And while, and while, while they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood before them. The women were terrified. They bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, why do you search for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember, he told you. He told you about this when he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men to be executed and on the third day rise up. It sounds like that Baker thing. And they were reminded of his words, but they still didn't see it. They still didn't see it. 
So in our Torah portion, 13 years earlier, Joseph had been put in a pit, and it had no water. And it was, it's believed that Joseph was in the pit for three days because Joseph is a picture of Messiah. He was sold as a slave, and he's carried down to Egypt. The brothers describe their... Uh, they, they, the brothers, they describe their brother to the viceroy. They don't know the viceroy. The second in command is actually Joseph, the one they sold 13 years earlier. And, and they, say, they say these words to him multiple times, at least two times. They say, we're the son of 12 brothers. The younger one is with dad. And this is what they say. But one is not. One is not, they don't say he's not alive. They just say he's not there. They just say one is not. Is he not their brother? It, what do they mean by that? And I looked at that word not, and it's ayin. Look at it, it's ayin from a primitive root meaning to be nothing. He's nothing or not existent, a non-entity. This is the same word that's used to describe Enoch when he's taken from the Lord. And Enoch was taken for he was not. He's not, he's not here. Where'd he go? I don't know. He was on earth and, you know, he took, God took him. Jacob has been in bereavement ever since he saw the bloody coat of Joseph. He said, I'll go to Sheol. I'll go to my grave mourning. I'm in mourning, mourning. And believe it or not, Jacob describes Joseph two ways. When they ask about, jo about Joseph to Jacob, Jacob says this, uh, when, when, when he doesn't want to send Benjamin with him, Jacob says this. He says, you want Simeon is not. Joseph is, uh, is not. And you want to take little Benjamin with you? I don't want him. I don't want something bad to happen to him too. He says the same words. He's not. He's not existent. We don't know what happened. But at the end of the, the story, and that when he finally lets Benjamin uh, go, you know what he says? He actually says these words for the first time. He says, Joseph is dead. Now, how surprised this is, the, what I would call this, the, I like to call this sermon the big reveal. How surprised is he going to be? He said he's non-existent. He doesn't, you know, he's not here. And, and J Jacob finally says, he's dead. Look in Genesis 42, 28. Look, he says, he said, my son will not go down with you for his brother is dead. He says it. He's moat. He's dead. And, and Benjamin's the only brother of, Ra son of Rachel, right? He alone remains. If harm should happen in him along the way you're going, you'll bring my gray, gray hair down to shoal and grief. Does, do you have any parents here? You know what kids can do to you? You have beautiful hair. You have none. You have beautiful hair. There are, I mean, Abby, Abby, today, I don't know if she did it on purpose. She, she put gray in her hair. I don't know if she's prophesying of the future. I don't know. Little Abby, okay. 
But everything about this Torah portion, even what they're saying, is showing you about Messiah. Did Messiah die? Yes. Do the do Jewish people say they? He's not. He's not a Yeshua Jesus. He's not our brother. He's not really Jewish. He's a traitor. It, it, he's not really our brother. He started this new religion. We know that's not true. I'm just saying what they say. His father says he's dead. All he has left is Benjamin, only one of the sons of Rachel. A future prophecy, though, of the dead bones of the house of Israel that was cut off because of the sins of Jeroboam from the tribe of Ephraim, who represented the ten northern tribes. When he's saying he's dead, it's also a prophecy of the lineage of Joseph that's going to be cut off. But it's not the end. It doesn't mean, and even the scripture says, they are no more. The house of Israel is no more. But it's really not the end. It looks like that. See, both statements that the brother said he's non-existent, the father says he's non-existent, nobody's really dead. Both statements are not really true. In their mind, they were true. Have you ever said things and you believe they were true and you found out later, oh my goodness, I had this thing all wrong. God was working in the middle. I thought it was the end. It wasn't the end. It was actually a new beginning. It was a new season. Something had to cut. Something had to die for the new growth to happen. But we didn't know. Oh, my goodness. I think it's the book of Ecclesiastes. Says, it says that, that when, a, when a, you cut a, the stump to the ground, it looks like it's over. It says, but it can sense the water. And at the sense of water, it begins to grow. It's a stump. There's nothing there. But yes, it's a word there. There's a prophecy there. There's a promise there. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Never seen their seed begging for bread. Abraham, your, your, your lineage, your prodigy, they'll be like the stars in the sky. They'll be like the sand in the sea. They can never be truly cut off. They can never truly be non-existent. So think about this. Joseph is standing in front of them, and they say, you don't exist. They come and they buy bread two times, right? Both times they send them back with their money. Look in Luke chapter 24. How could they be so blind, right? Luke 24, now behold, two of them on that very day were traveling to a village named Emmaus, and a distance about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were speaking with, another, with one another about all things that had been happening. While they were talking and discussing, Yeshua himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Wow, wow. Now look in Genesis 42. The sons of Israel went to buy grain uh, uh, among the others who were coming because the famine in the, was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was the ruler over the land. He was a provider of grain for all the people of the earth. This is how powerful Joseph is. He's ruling Egypt, but he's also over the end. Basically the whole world is coming to this one messianic figure Second in command, like Yeshua, who sits under the Father's authority, right? The same thing. Yeshua is second to the Father. He provides for all the people. And you wonder why we need a Jewish Messiah. A Hebrew Messiah. Think about it. The Jewish Messiah 
when he comes back, he's going to provide for all the people. Hallelujah. Not just his own. He's going to provide because that's what God, he blessed him to be a blessing. Oh, hallelujah. Joseph's brothers came and they bowed to him with their faces to the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, look at this, the same language. He recognized them. But he made himself unrecognizable to them. Just like Yeshua on that road, they didn't recognize him. Though Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. So Joseph is a picture of the suffering Messiah who suffered for them. Just like Isaiah talks about the Messiah will be wounded. In Hebrew tradition, there's two pictures of Messiah. There's a picture of a suffering Messiah who will go to war, who will fight for the people. He'll die in battle to bring the lost sheep home. But there will also be another Messianic figure. He will rule and reign. And the Jewish people haven't put it together yet. They think there's two different people. But if they just read the Torah portion, they'll see that the two are one. Hallelujah. So after Joseph suffers, he goes from where? Where does he go from? He goes to the, from the pit, right? He goes to Potiphar's house for just a short time where he gets accused of doing some wrong stuff, which he never does. He goes to prison for, for 12 years. And then he comes up to rule and reign. So he went down, but he what? He came up and he has that word viceroy. If you study it out, it's one who has mastery. One who has dominion. I mean, this is, this is prophecy of the dominion that God gave to Abraham. The, uh, this is the, the, the dominion that God gave to Adam. The dominion, the authority. I love this. I love if you read in the Hebrew, the Bible says this. No one could lift up their hand or move their foot without Joseph's approval. He was given that authority. Just like Yeshua was given the, oh, hallelujah. He, he took it humbly. He received it humbly. He let God raise him up. Oh, my goodness. See, okay, so the people, the people all must kneel. At, look at Joseph. This is amazing. The people are commanded by Pharaoh, Avarech, excuse me, it's in Hebrew. And it, it means, it's said to mean, bow your knee or and your head before him. So think about it. You would think Pharaoh's going to say, bow to me. No. Isn't this what the father says? Every knee shall bow to the son. It's every monk shall confess that Yeshua is Lord, Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. When, so Pharaoh tells the people, when you see Joseph, bow your knee, bow your head. What's your, your knee worship? Your head, you're bowing your authority to him. Joseph is a picture of Messiah. And then the, in Genesis 41, 55, it says every person had to do whatever Joseph told him to do. Now, this is why I want Yeshua to come back. Because I don't want you to have free will anymore. Free will doesn't work. There's doctrines about it. There, there's, mis I mean, come on. When you give people the freedom of choice, I don't know why God just didn't make us like the angels. But instead, well, even the angels rebel, some of them. But I love it. Whatever Joseph, it's almost like the same words Mary tells, Mary tells the, the, the steward. 
at the, at the first miracle. Whatever he tells you to do. Hallelujah. Look at Luke 4, 24. Now as they said these things, Jesus stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. Shalom. And they were terrified. They were frightened. Interesting. It sounds like when, when they're going to meet Joseph and they're invited to the dinner, it's, they're going to be scared. They're terrified. They're frightened. Suppose they had seen the spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why, why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet. That is, as, is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see me have. Wow, that's crazy, right? So they're afraid when Jesus appears to them. They don't believe, is, he, is it really him? And, and when like I said, when the Josephs are invited to dinner, they think that because they had last time the money restored to their sacks, they said, oh, this is just a plot. They're getting me to this house so, you know, they could make a plot against us. And they're going to make us uh, his servants. And you have this crazy thing they keep saying over and over. And they're going to take our donkeys. Like, what is that about? Like, if you're a slave, do you really care about your donkey? What good is your donkey if you're a slave? But they, they seem to always, and I'm sure there's something about this prophetically. But when Joseph sees them, they're afraid. But you know what he says? He says the same words that Yeshua says to his disciples. He says, shalom. And Joseph says, shalom, peace to you. How's your father? Peace to your father. Can't make this stuff up. I don't know if you noticed this, but somehow in this feast that they're all sitting at, the all uh, now there's going to be 12, including Joseph, who's not going to actually sit with them because the Egyptians don't sit with Egypt because the, the Hebrews are an abomination to them. Now figure that one out. But they sit in birth order, and then when they're given food, Benjamin... Joseph's blood brother, if you will, totally by Rachel, his younger brother, he gives him five times as much. Now, one of the reasons I think he did that, this is my opinion, I think it's probably a popular opinion, is he wanted to see how the other brothers are going to react when little Benjamin, the son of Rachel, is getting five times as much. Maybe they're going to, you know, yeah, maybe they're going to turn on him. But I, th I think there's another reason. Because later in the Torah, the Bible talks about giving five times as much when an ox is found or restored. This is crazy, right? This is crazy. So, and in the scriptures, in the book of Gen um, Deuteronomy 33, when the, Moses gives the blessing over Joseph, he describes him as an ox even as a firstborn, we can talk about this another time. Because Second Chronicles chapter five says the, that Reuben should have been the firstborn, but then it goes. Then the sons of Joseph are going to get the firstborn blessing, and Judah is going to get the rulership. Which is the two people that we're dealing with in the Torah portion. They're not actually firstborn, but they're going to function as the firstborn and rulers because of what they're going to bring. And give back. Anyway, I think it's just interesting. Look at Exodus 22. If a man steals an ox, now think about it. Who was stolen from his own land? 
Joseph, who's an ox, who's described as an ox in scripture. Joseph, if a man steals an ox, sheep, and kills or sells it, was he stolen? Yes. Was he sold? Was Joseph sold? He shall make restitution of five oxen for an ox and four sheep. Jo this is why I believe Benjamin gets five times as more. It's a hint to letting us know that the lost brother has been found. Benjamin's not the lost brother. Joseph is a lost brother. But Benjamin's getting the benefits because everything, everything's going to, that Joseph does, instead of requiring them to pay, he's going to pay. Because when, even though you and I deserve death, even though you and I deserve the grave, Messiah is going to give his life. Do we deserve it or he deserves it? We deserve death, but he's going to pay it for us. And that's what this, everything we're learning, you're going to see the grace, the mercy. There's another, there's another, so look at, so why, why did they have to give double money? And why did they get the double money back two times? The first time they gave their money, they got it back. The next time they came and they brought double money, they go, go, home, go home with double money. Look what the Bible says. If the animal that he stole is found alive in his possession. So I'm asking, is Joseph dead or is he alive? Is he a non-existent or is he he's really existent? He's the ruler, right? He's alive. Whether, look at this, whether it's an ox or a donkey, I don't know what this donkey's going on, or a sheep, he shall pay double for it. But see, Joseph doesn't allow them to pay double. Joseph says, I'm giving you the double back because that's what Messiah does for us. Everything is the opposite. We should have to pay, but he pays the bill for us. Hallelujah. Oh, my goodness. So Joseph sends them back with double money. Which Joseph sends back with the brothers to the father. Jacob, well, okay, so the lost brother Joseph had been found. He's found, but they're still blinded. They don't see. Now, are you liking this at all? Are you getting anything out of it? Listen, I'm going on vacation after this, so, you know. <laughs> I'm going to give it everything I got today so you don't forget me. Like that, but, like that, like that wine guy. I'm only gone two, two, two Shabbats, but I don't, you know, it's not going to be two years like the other guy. Luke 24, look at this. When he had said this, now look at Yeshua. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Well, while they still not believed for joy and marveled, they did not believe for joy and marveled. He said to them, oh, I love this Jewish guy. Have you any food here? Oh, my goodness. He must have had those chicken wings. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not chicken. It's, it's actually fish. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. So he gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. I'm going to just let you know that a lot of translations have taken out the honeycomb. And it's actually in the original text. We don't have a good reason why they took it out. But it's in there. I want you to know it's in there. And, and uh, um, it's, there's a reason why he's giving them fish and honey. It's an actual reason. I'm going to show you. He took it. At, he took it. And ate in their presence, and they said to him, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. All things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. 
And now look at this. Look at verse 45. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. So now once they eat the fish and the honey, once they get the revelation of the fish and the honey, then they're, and he, then he, begin, and he tells them the same thing he's told them from the very beginning. The son of man, he's going to die. He's going to be taken. He's going to, you know, all these things. He's going to be buried on the third day. But this time, the eyes of their understanding. See, we've got to believe that God is going to open the eyes of the understanding of lost people, of people that are in uh, your friends, your neighbors, your family. we got to believe because you and I cannot make their eyes open. But Yeshua opened the eyes of their understanding. And there's like, oh, I, oh. How many times did they hear that? How many times have people heard the gospel and they didn't get it? And that's not even talking about what we do here. That's a whole nother level of understanding. Your eyes really have to be open. So, but now look at this prayer that Paul prays in the book of Ephesians. I think we need to be praying this prayer. It says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. There's a more to that prayer, but I'll stop there. Paul said, I don't stop praying for you that God would open the eyes of your understanding. Because there's still things you don't know about your calling. You still don't know everything that God has for you. And we need to pray for our friends. We need to pray for our loved ones. We need to pray, uh, pray for everyone that their eyes, their eyes will be open. Because once God opens their eyes of understanding, then you keep praying it because there's more. So in our Torah portion, the brothers are blinded, right? But the disciples, too, they were blinded. Really didn't happen. Their eyes weren't really opened for the most part until after Pentecost or Shavuot when the Holy Spirit came. And once the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, that's when their eyes really began to open. So look at Romans chapter eleven twenty-five. 25. Look what it says. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. So we've got to believe that the days of the Gentiles get fulfilled because once the days of the Gentiles get fulfilled, then the eyes of the Israel are going to begin to be opened now let me just show you one, a few things about blindness because you're going to see a history of blindness in the Bible. Jacob, oh, excuse me, Isaac couldn't discern who was the right firstborn, Jacob or Esau. Why? Because the Bible says he was blind. Later, we're going to read a story in a minute, you're going to see that when Jacob is old, and he's brought Joseph's sons to him, Ephraim and Manasseh. He's going to be blind as well, and it's going to look like he's blessing the wrong firstborn, but he's not.
Look in Genesis 49. Let's just read it real quick. Because if you, under, if you get this today, you're going to get something that, you've, you, that a lot of people haven't seen. Genesis 49.10. Now Israel's eyes had grown heavy with age. He could not see. Wait a minute. Could that be where Israel is right now? Natural Israel? Could they be blinded to their Messiah? Have you told them about Yeshua? What do they say? No, no, no. The rabbis say he's not it. No, no, you know, you know he's a Sabbath breaker. Whatever reason they give, they're blinded, aren't they? Are they not blinded? For the most part. If a Jewish person gives their life to Yeshua, it's a big deal. Hello. It's a big deal. Because they're blinded. Not all of them, but there's a remnant that are coming in. But for the most part, they're like Isaac. They're blind. So he brought them near to him and he kissed them and he hugged them. And Israel said to Joseph, to see your face, I didn't, even, I didn't expect it. And look, God has let me see your offspring as well. Joseph took them from his knees. He bowed with his face to the ground. Joseph took the two of them, Ephraim with his right hand, across from Israel's left. And Manasseh with his left hand, across from Israel's right. And brought them close to him. But Israel stretched out his right hand and placed it on Ephraim's head, the younger. And his left hand on Manasseh's head, crossing his hands through Manasseh, was the firstborn. Let me ask you something. What is this? It's a cross. The cross is a reversal. The cross brings, uh, brings um, those who were not able to receive the firstborn blessing. He, he puts it on them. He puts you into the blessing camp, if you will. I'll explain it more. But, uh, oh, hallelujah. The cross is a reversal. It's a place of exchange. Israel crossed his hands. You cannot make this up. But he blesses the wrong one. He's blessing the, he's going to give the, the, the greater blessing to the younger. Then he blessed Joseph and he said, the God of whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who shepherded me through my life to this day, the angel who redeemed me from evil, he may bless the boys and they may, and they be called by my name. He's adopting them, by the way, right now. And by the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, may they multiply fit like fish. In the Hebrew, it's the word daga for fish. It's a, it's a, a girl fish. Of course it's a girl fish because the girl fish is going to carry the eggs to a multitude in the midst of the land. Ephraim and Manasseh are going to multiply like fish. When Joseph saw it, his father placed his right hand on Ephraim's head. He, it was wrong. He said, don't do this. He tried to remove. I can't, can you imagine this blind guy and his, little, his son's like pulling his hand. Dad, you got it wrong. Switch hands. Joseph said to his father, not like that, daddy. Because this one's the firstborn. You're blessing the wrong one. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know my son. I know he will become a people and he will also become great. But now here's the thing. This is Ephraim. But his younger brother will become greater than he and his seed will be the fullness of. 
the nation. Remember, blindness has come apart, Israel, until the fullness of the nations. The fullness of the nations were locked up in Ephraim. Ephraim is going to represent the fullness of the nations. But Manasseh is the physical firstborn. He's, he represents the natural. But Ephraim represents a spiritual legacy, right? He represents the, the, the posterity of Israel spiritually. Both Ephraim and Manasseh will spawn. They will be prolific like fish on the earth. These are the sons of Joseph, the one known as the ox. Look in Deuteronomy 33. Look at the blessing over Jacob. Just the first part of it. Let them come to the head of Joseph and to the crown of the prince among his brothers. Wait a minute. Who's going to be the prince of the brothers? Joseph. Look what he says, as the firstborn of his ox, is Jacob kind of saying that Joseph's like a firstborn? I know he's really not the firstborn, but maybe in a way he is a firstborn. Look what he says, majesty belongs to him, and his horns are the horns of a wild ox. He drives People together, in the Hebrew it's the word yahad, he binds them, he drives them as one. He unifies people. You won't even get this just reading it in the, without going deeper in the Hebrew. In our mind, Joseph's got this horn of an ox and he's killing people. That's not what it means at all. He's actually, so the word for horn in the Bible is the word cherem. And it actually, the root word means rays of light. So Joseph is using his horn, his authority, to bring light by pushing people together, all the people to the ends of the earth. He's pulling them together to the worship of the true and the most high God. He's not killing them. He's unifying them because he's a picture of Messiah. And now, who are these people? And these are the myriads of Ephraim, and they are the thousands of Manasseh. So the fullness of the Gentiles has to do with Ephraim, and it's like Ephraim will become that fullness of nations, right? So now look at Luke 21. Yeshua talks about the end days, and he says, They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations, Jerusalem be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, I don't know when exactly this started. I don't even know. Um, I, I believe that Jerusalem, in a way, is still being trampled by the Gentiles now. It's a divided city. They can't worship the, on the Holy Mount the way they want. Um, you know, you've got the war in Gaza. You have people saying they need to divide the land. Israel is still not functioning the way she should. We, in a sense, it's being trampled by the Gentiles, especially with the mixture in the land. You might not agree with everything Israel does. Uh, hello. I don't agree with everything I do. But they're a young nation. They're very young. They haven't figured out who they are yet. Once they go back to their roots and understand who they are, that they have to be a, they have to live a certain way, that if people come to the land, you, you're going to live the way we say, the way God says. But they haven't got to that yet. Once they do, then I'll be there. Anyway, 
How about you? I hope you'll be there too. So now, look at Luke 24. Look, look at this, this crazy thing that Yeshua does. They gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. So what is that? We know what the fish has to do with. The fish has to do with the nations. Because remember, they will multiply like fish on the, it's souls, right? Are, what are the disciples? They're fishers of men. So he's, he's giving them fish. He, they're eating fish because fish has to do with the nations. It has to do with souls. If you look at the large fifth fish in John, chapter, I think it's 21, there's 153 fish. If everybody wonder, what's that 153? There's large fish. The net doesn't break. I'm not telling you what it is, just so you know. No, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you one of the understandings. Of course, it's souls. But 153 is the, is the number for the nations that built Solomon's temple. There was 153,600 people from the nations that built the temple, which is telling you it's going to be the nations that build God's house. The ones who had become, who are coming through Ephraim. The full, because Ephraim got swallowed up by the nations, but Yeshua brought the lost sheep home. Okay, anyway, so what about this honey? What about this honeycomb? Why were there's eyes opened? See, your eyes are open with the fish and your eye uh, combined with the honey. And so interesting that they take this out of some translations, right? They don't want us to have honey. So when Joseph Excuse me, when Jacob sends the brothers back um, to buy food the second time, he sends an offering. And one of the offerings are, one of the things with the double money is, he says, send a little honey. What's honey symbolic of? The land flowing with milk, right? That's, that's part of it, right? But God's word is said to be as Wait a minute. Remember, they're blinded. They can't see. They eat the fish. Oh, it's about the nations. It's about harvest. But you can't just eat the fish because if you just eat the fish and you think it's just about the nations, don't forget, you've got to have that honey. Because if it's not sweet to you, you don't, you don't want to do the work of the kingdom. You don't want to go to the nations. You need the sweetness. God's word is, I don't know if anyone's getting anything out of this. It's okay. Say, God's word is is we, we missed it. We've missed it. We, we've made God harsh. We've made God cruel. We, it's, a, it's a goodness of God that leads to repentance. He's, he's sweeter than you know he is. He's sweeter than you think he is. His word is sweet. Even the commandments, even every commandment is not hard. His yoke is what? Easy. Look in Psalms 119. How sweet are thy words unto my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey. If you're reading the word and it's not sweet to you, it's you. It's not the word, baby. God's word is sweet. It's life. It's medicine. It's health. It's a salve. It heals the outside. It heals the inside. 
So, you, so there's a story of Jonathan in battle, and his father had made an oath because Saul, interesting to note, who's the first king? A Benjamite. Really interesting. Saul makes a, a, a vow to the people. He says, you're not allowed to eat anything, but you're fighting a war. So let me ask you something. How good would you be fighting if you didn't eat for days? How would you be with one meal missing? Jonathan doesn't hear the oath. He takes his rod. He dips it in honey. And guess what happens when he dips it in honey? Look what the Bible says. Jonathan heard not when his father changed the people with the oath, charged the people with the oath. He put forth the end of the rod that was in his hand. He dipped it in a honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his eyes were enlightened. The same words. His eyes were opened with what? See, this is our problem. We're not getting enough sweet. Oh, I know this is going to go all good. I'm not talking about junk food. I'm talking about the sweetness of God's word. It, it literally means his eyes had ore. They had light. They were luminous. There was a breaking of day. There was glory. There was, it was a kindling. It was, it was giving off light. It was setting on fire. It was shining. So the moment he had the sweetness of the word, so Yeshua was saying, eat the fish, but don't just eat the fish. It's not just about the harvest of souls. It's also about you living the sweet life. Because when you live the sweet life, you're going to walk in revelation. You're going to walk. In, the honey is going to open your eyes. I never preached this before. I don't think it's heresy. I hope it's not. So Joseph from the, also Jonathan's from the tribe of Benjamin. We're talking about, you know, Benjamin was, was you know, the, the, the one brought back, the youngest son. The moment he dips his rod in the honey, he becomes a light bearer. We got to get away from those sour, you know, people. And we can't be those sour people anymore. I hope you're not. Please, please, don't tell them about Save the Nations if you're sour. I want sweet people here. I really do. I want you to see this. God wants you to think of the good news as honey that is sweet. It's sweet to your soul. Honey represents the good things that happen when we connect to God and his word. Look in Psalms 19. I'm not, I'm not letting you out early. I'm sorry. You're going to get this last part. Even the visitors. Don't go yet. Because I want you to see this. Because I hope this, I hope this helps you start out this new month with us in the right way. That God's going to bring sweetness. I think Hanukkah was a, ble was a great time for us. And, and it reminds us of of. What God did, he's a restorer. He's a God of miracles. And he brought the sweetness back because the, the light came back to the temple, right? The word, the word started going forth again. Look in Psalms 19. The Lord's instruction is perfect, reviving one's very being. The Lord's laws are faithful, making naive people wise. The Lord's regulations are right, gladdening the heart. The Lord's commands are pure, giving light to the eyes. Honoring the Lord is correct, lasting forever. The Lord's judgments are true, all of these are righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than tons of pure gold. Now look at this. They are sweeter. You talk about the precepts, the statutes, the commandments, the decrees. Pastor, they're sweet. I didn't say it. Talk to David. 
sweeter than honey. Even dripping off the honeycomb, no doubt about it. Your servant is enlightened by them. There is great reward in keeping them. I've been quoting this. I've been, I've been reading Psalms every day. I just encourage you to read some Psalms every day. But, but can anyone know what, their accident, what they've accidentally done wrong? Clear me. Oh, I love this. Clear me of any unknown sin and save your servant from willful sins. Don't let them rule me. Then I'll be completely blameless. I'll be innocent of great wrongdoing. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. Let's just close our eyes for just a moment. Let's just close our eyes. He's the redeemer. He's the redeemer. He's our heavenly Joseph. He's our heavenly Judah. He went down for us. He was buried for us. On the third day, he rose for us. We deserve death. We deserve to pay. We were lost, but he found us. The Bible says in the book of Luke, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. We're all lost without him. We're all like sheep going astray. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Through Joseph, the 12 sons and daddy were preserved. They were saved from famine. They went down to Egypt and they were given a special land, a land called Goshen. The word Goshen can mean a place of light and provision. They had the very best of the land, but you know why? It's because they had Joseph. You see, you can live in a great country. You can live in a blessed country, a, a, a prosperous country. But that doesn't mean you're going to get the blessing of that country. The way we get the blessing is through Yeshua. It's through the one who died for us. The one who went down for us. The one who was buried for us. The one who rose from us. The Bible says that we're all in a prison. And it's called the prison of sin. And in that prison of sin, there's only one key. And unfortunately, you don't have the key to unlock your own prison door of sin. You can try to be good. You can try to do the right thing. But the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. And then it says the gift. The gift of God is eternal life. So when Yeshua rose from the dead, he makes this statement in the book of Revelation. He says, unto him who loved us and washed us with his blood. And Yeshua rose from the dead and he makes this statement. He says, I have uh, the keys to sin, hell, and death. Only through Jesus, only through the Son, 
the son represented by Joseph, the son represented by Judah, only through Yeshua's sacrifice does he unlock the door and sin no longer has authority and dominion over us. Without that key, you're locked. And when you die, you'll die in your sin. And that's why Yeshua said, if you believe in me, you'll no longer be a slave. You'll no you won't die in your sin. The first part of the gospel is repentance and believing in the lordship of Yeshua. You've got to confess with your mouth. You've got to believe in your heart that he is the Lord, that God raised him from the dead. You have to confess him for yourself. Some people say, I don't understand the new covenant. What's the new covenant about? The new covenant is about making God personal to you and me. Abraham had a personal relationship with God. David had a personal relationship with God. The patriarchs, they had a personal relationship with God. But how can those who've been locked up into sin, how can those people who have no, no understanding of covenant, how do they have a relationship with God? They have a relationship with God through Yeshua. And through Yeshua, they get into that covenant. They're, they're, they're brought in as a son. They're brought in as a daughter. And God makes the covenant real to you. So you know when you die, you belong to him. You know that you're living every day not for yourself. You're living for the one who died for you. Don't leave this place today if you're still locked in sin. If you're dealing with sin, if sin is con con controlling you, if you feel like, Pastor Ken, you don't know what I'm struggling with. I don't have to know. All I have to know is the blood of Yeshua can cleanse it. The blood of Yeshua can wash it. He has the keys to unlock that door of that prison to let you go free. Because remember, Joseph was brought out. And Joseph is a type of Messiah. He was brought out, and you'll be brought out too. You'll be brought out, but you've got to confess him. But that's you. Say, Pastor Ken, I need, I need Yeshua. I need to make him the Lord of my life, or I need to rededicate my life to him. Or if I'm struggling with sin in any way, I want you just to lift your hand. Lift it high. Lift it high. Don't be ashamed. Pastor, I'm, I'm dealing with some things today. I'm not right with the Lord. I'm not right with him. I want you guys to pray this prayer of rededication. I don't want you to miss your moment. Don't miss your moment. Don't miss your moment. Don't miss your moment. You know, Judah said this. He said, if we just didn't linger, if we didn't linger, we'd have come back two times already. And there, there's a context for lingering that you might not realize in the Bible. See, Lot was in Sodom and Gomorrah with his family. Well, what does Sodom and Gomorrah represent? Sin. It's the most evil place there ever was. And when Lot's family was in Sodom and Gomorrah, 
the angels came to pull them out. They said, you got to leave this place. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, while they lingered, it's the exact same word. It says, the angels grabbed them by the hand. The Lord being merciful to them, he brought them out. So the context of lingering is that you're staying in the wrong place when you could have already moved forward. See, don't linger in sin. Don't wallow in it. Don't stay in the world when God wants to give you his mercy and carry you out. The other concept of lingering is don't wait. The Bible says don't linger to do his commandments. Don't linger. When you know it's right, just do it. And there's someone here, I think you're lingering in the wrong place with the wrong people. It's a, everything's wrong. And God's saying, I'm giving, pastor, can you hear that pastor? It's, a, it's not the pastor. It's the Lord's giving you mercy today. He's saying, come out, come out, come out, come out of that prison, come out of that dark place, come into the light, be a light bearer. It's time for you to get some honey. I'm just, some of you need the honey, the sweetness. Is this resonating with anybody here today? Pray this prayer with me. The Lord's in this place. I feel him. I feel him. I feel him moving. He's merciful. He's kind. He's loving. He's not going to leave you. He said, I'll not leave you. I'll not forsake you. He's, he's with you in the hard times, the bad times. He's with you in the pit. He's with you in the prison. He's with, he's with you when you're accused of things you didn't really do. When you're delayed and when you're waiting in that long time for something to break and it's not been breaking. But at the right time, just when Joseph was called to go before Pharaoh, God's going to say, come up. Come out. Come out of that prison. Come out of that pit. Shave, time to get cleaned up. The two things Joseph gets when he comes out of prison, he gets some new clothes and he gets a gold chain. The clothes represent a new beginning. They were linen clothes. You know what God was saying to Joseph? Everything in the past is gone. I'm cleaning. Oh, hallelujah. That's why the Bible says we've got clean linen garments. We've got those clean linen. The Lord's going to give you those clean linen garments today. Taste and see that the Lord is good. In fact, Father, I pray for the, for the people who've had the bitter taste, the mara, the poison. Wherever it came from, Lord, I ask that you take the coal of the, off the altar, you cleanse their lips, and you remove the, the bitterness off their tongue. Lord, just like you did for Joseph, he started out talking bad and negative about his brothers, but in the end, he was speaking shalom. Lord, I pray for your people that instead of the negativity, the bitterness, the harshness, I pray that you replace it with the honey of your word. Prophetically, I ask that, Lord, let the people dip that rod into your honeycomb and let them taste your sweetness today.
sweetness, sweetness. To say, Lord Yeshua, Lord Yeshua, here I am. I repent of my sin. I confess with my mouth, Yeshua is my Lord. Take over. Take control. Here's my life. If you can do anything with me, use me for your glory. Let me be a light bearer. Let me be a soul winner. And let me live in your sweetness, in your goodness, all the days of my life. Lord, make anything wrong, turn it around. Any, any area of my life that needs an adjustment, like a heavenly chiropractor, adjust my life, my spirit, my soul, my body, my family, my finances. Thank you for transformation. Thank you for new beginnings. I'm coming out of the pit. I'm coming out of the prison. There's a seat for me at the table. Oh, hallelujah. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You're sitting at Joseph's table. I want you to know you're sitting at the, the, the whole table with those 12. I believe it's a picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We worship you, Lord. Who needs a miracle? Stand up. You need a miracle. Stand up. You need a miracle. You need God to intervene. You need something to shift and change. Don't, don't, um, don't be embarrassed. Is there anybody been praying the same prayer for a long time and hasn't gotten an answer? Stand up. So you don't know when that right season is. You don't know when you're going to be remembered. You just don't know. You just don't know. But God knows. Don't give up on your dreams. Joseph waited a long time. And I guarantee you, the end of the dream, the real interpretation, he didn't have when he was 17. He didn't get it till he was 30. He didn't really see it. Once he saw that it wasn't even about him, the dream was about bringing family together. The dream was about preserving a nation. He didn't know that at 17. You might not even realize the dream that you want to happen, that God's given you, it might be a little different when you start walking in it than you think it is right now. Give God permission to show you what the dream really means. What it really is supposed to be. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for our heavenly Joseph. Thank you, Lord, for our, our heavenly Judah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for new beginnings right now, right now. I thank you for dreams and visions, Lord. I thank you for the people. Lord, they need a miracle. They need you to answer their prayers. 
They need God to, uh, to awaken that which is sleeping, that waken, that which is dormant, the thing that looks, it looks like it's dead. Just like, remember Jacob said, oh, he, he's non-existent. Maybe it's not, it's never going to happen. Uh, maybe the dream is dead. Is it? Is it dead? Or is it just sleeping? You remember the child that died? And the, and the people said, don't bother the master anymore. The child's dead. But what does Yeshua say? You're just sleep. It's just sleep. Some of you need to hear this. Your dream's just asleep. It's not dead. It's asleep. It's not dead. Whew. Father, in the name of Yeshua, we pray for the people. There to be a resurrection. A reformation. I ask that you put skin on the bones. Just like you told Ezekiel, can these bones live? Thou knowest. Lord, can this dream live? Thou knowest, O Lord. And we prophesy to the north and the south and the east and the west that the Lord would send his Ruach, his spirit, to resurrect the, that which is dead or sleeping and let it be raised up. It looks like it's lingering. It looks like it's tarrying. But Habakkuk said, Habakkuk said, write the vision. Write the vision. Make it plain. Look what Habakkuk says. It's a, I'm telling you it's the same word in the Hebrew. It said it won't linger. It won't tarry. Write it down. So those who read it can run with it. The dream's not, not dead. The dream's not going to stay asleep. Write it down. Get it out. Read it. Pray it. Speak over it. There's, there's people, you've been sitting on some things. It looks like it's dormant. All it is, it's a caterpillar that's gone into a cocoon, but it's coming out a butterfly. Hallelujah. I don't know if you know this, but a caterpillar can sting you, and it doesn't feel good. But you know, once a caterpillar goes through that metamorphosis, in the, and it looks like that, that state of death, it has a born-again experience. And when it comes out, it doesn't sting anymore, but it flies. There's somebody already that's going to fly. I, I believe I'm going to hear reports. People are going to tell me about dreams that have been resurrected. New jobs, new careers. It's even bigger than that. It's bigger than that. There's some of you sitting on million dollar ideas. When I say million, it's probably billion, but don't give up on it. Don't give up on it. Lord, let us not be too busy doing the mundane that we're not about your business, the business of the kingdom. God, forgive us for letting, for allowing us to linger in the mundane when we could have already moved forward. We could have already done it twice. You could have already been a billionaire two times. Let's seal this. Let's seal this with the bread and the cup. Can we pass that?